Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a father-son duo. We've got world champion elk callers. We've got uh, six-time world champion elk caller Thomas Deesing, and his d- father Tom Deesing, a six-time Best of the West uh, elk calling champion. These guys own Mile High Note Game Calls. They're out of Loveland, Colorado, and uh, it's going to be great to have you guys on. How you guys doing? Doing pretty good, Jay. How are you? Good, Thomas. It's good to hear your voice. And Tom, how are you? I'm doing great, too. Yeah, we're really excited about the upcoming season and getting ready for that and great getting ready to talk some elk with you. Yeah, thanks for yeah, us on the show. Absolutely. I can remember, I don't remember specifically what year it was, um, but I want to say it was so six or seven years ago. Thomas, you could probably remind me, but uh, for three years, I judged the elk calling contest. And I remember, I want to say that you, I can't remember, Thomas, if it was youth division or if you had just stepped up into the men's division, but I had to. I had to see who that was that I heard calling because I heard some cow calling that was phenomenal and it like stood out above uh, the rest to me and ended up, uh, I think Thomas, uh, you and I, I don't think we were on the same flight, but I think we ended up back at the airport after the contest and we got to talking and, yeah, and I think, uh, uh, I think that was in like 2013, was I think. Yeah. I think and, that was, uh, uh, when I won the men's division that year and then, uh, I think we, I think we had the same flight. I remember I had like the check because I couldn't check it on, like the big, <laughs> the big check. <laughs> check. And uh, I remember you came up and you asked about it, and then I think we had the same flight to Denver, and then you flew from Denver to Arizona or something like that. You know, I but, I take notes when I'm judging. Yeah. Uh, I take I take notes, and I think I remember asking you what caller were you and. You said, and then I, I pulled out my notes. I started looking. I had all sorts of asterisks and stuff like, that. Yeah. you know, whoever this is, he really knows what he's doing. So it's going to be great to have you both on. Um, first question I'd ask you, Tom, is what is it like to have your son enjoying the passion that you enjoy and and having him uh, great at it as well as you are? It's just been incredible. You know, he's been an outdoors person. I, I can remember taking him out to the duck and goose blind when he was five years old, Jay. And, uh, you know, I started him out with a little BB gun in the blind, and it was a great way to start a young person for safety and, and uh, you know, just pointing the gun in the right direction and everything. And he would, you know, I knew I had a winner when he wouldn't complain about the cold or anything. The only thing he did was watch me and learn and, and, you know, over the years, it's just been so wonderful. And even my daughter, Jessie, who's not with us today, you know, she's won the national contest twice in the women's division and she loves to call and she loves the outdoors. So it's just been great having an outdoor family and it doesn't get any better. Yeah. I can remember, um, you know, it was really cool. I forgot about your daughter. She was a phenomenal caller as well. And um, is she still elk hunting, still calling, doing her thing? Well, she's she just had a baby, so that's slowing her down a little bit. She got married, and her uh, husband just got back from being deployed. So um, then they had their baby, and so she's got a lot of other priorities going on right now. But <laughs> I'm hoping she'll get back into it here in the next year or so. 
That sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, you guys have mile high note game calls. Uh, tell me a little bit about what created the the desire to want to create your own calls. I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you guys. Sure. So, you know, I started, I've been calling competitively. Geez, I'm, I'm going to say for 25 years now, just on little contests and big contests and stuff. And one of the things that always kind of got to me was I, I would settle in on a call that I really liked and I'd, I'd go buy that call and um, I'd break it in and I'd get it just the way I wanted it. And then it would wear out and I'd go buy the same call and I'd struggle with consistency in the manufacturing process. And um, it just got frustrating. So I started out, I bought the equipment just to make my own calls just for myself so I could really get a consistent call. Of course, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to actually figure out the recipes on, on these calls and, you know, with all the thicknesses of latex and the latex stretch. But once I got those dialed in, um, I just started getting the consistency I was looking for because I was hand making every call. And um, then I started kind of giving them out to people and they really liked them and they just were encouraging me to, you know, take it to the next step. And that's kind of how we started it out. So in other words, uh, the three of you, uh, the two, Thomas and Tom and, and your daughter, uh, you're basically getting firsthand feedback. I mean, you can hand Thomas a call and he can give you feedback right away as well as your daughter. And tell me what kind of, uh, you know, how that played into the success of your calling company. It really did play in in a big way, you know, just having these guys here as, as, you know, good callers, you know, I was, I was popping reads off of the press and handing them to them and they're like, Nope, they would know right away. This isn't it. And, you know, and then we were getting close, but then we would hear some things we didn't like in it. So I would just tweak the stretch a little bit more, um, try a different thickness of latex and see where that went. I literally probably made a thousand calls in that time, just in R and D trying to figure out what the right recipe was for the calls for us. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, for the listeners out there, um, for those that, that do call a lot and those that, uh, maybe don't, a couple things you said right there, are very, very important. And that's latex thickness and consistency and the stretch. And, Everybody blows a call differently, whether you're blowing a duck call, a turkey call, a goose call, an elk call, whatever. Um, I, I would think one of the challenges as a manufacturer would be trying to make calls that, that work well for you first so that you can demonstrate your own calls. But then also, since everybody everybody's mouth's a little different, everybody likes you know, like personally, I like cow calling. I like a real uh, loose latex. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, they can't even get a sound out of real loose latex. Um, so talk about the challenges a little bit with everybody's mouth and, and everybody having their own style and such as, as a manufacturer. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I run into a lot, I do a lot of elk calling instruction also. I run some classes out of my house and, you know, I get probably 20 to, I don't know, 20 to 30 uh, guys in every year that I'm just working with on the reeds and, you know, the placement is so important in the mouth and it kind of starts there. 
And, you know, sometimes I get guys in that have a real narrow uh, palate plate kind of up there in the roof of their mouth. And, you know, the traditional diaphragm, the traditional uh, diaphragm doesn't fit real good in their mouth. And, and then they'll really struggle with the call. So, you know, there are some slim line calls out there that you can get. And I usually refer them to a few other manufacturers because I, I don't make one yet. I am going to start making one next year, I think, because I've had so many requests for it. But, you know, it's really important that it fits in the in the mouth really well. And then, like you said, the, the stretch of latex, you're right. People like it from real loose to real tight. And, you know, we make our, our calls pretty tight. And one of the reasons I do that is because I'm really trying to appeal to the beginner caller, especially the person that's really struggled. And what we've found is the tighter the latex the easier it is to work. You don't have to use much air or pressure and you get a sound right away. And, you know, and that's the big deal for these guys that are coming in and learning because they want to be able to make a sound and they want to be able to start somewhere. And some of them are really struggling, not even making noise when they come see me. So, um, but we've found that we really like the, the tightness of the latex and it just makes the call last a little longer, I think, too, because it's tight to begin with. And, you know, even when it starts getting a little wrinkled and worn out, we can still make them sound good. And so, you know, I think we get a, a better starting base with that with that tight stretch. For sure. And, and you know, I think with a tight stretch, you can immediately be making high pitch sounds, specifically talking about bugles, um, you know, where if you have a, a looser stretch, uh, you're going to require more air pressure, like you said. And right. um, I, I think from a bugling standpoint, the, 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 the tighter stretch, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you guys, what, you know, do you, does your cow call differ from your call that you bugle with as far as stretch? Or do you use one call for everything? I generally use one call for everything. I'll bring the single read, double read, and triple read with me when I'm hunting just to mix it up a little bit because they all do sound just a little different. Um, but generally I have one call that I use the whole time. Um, and that's when it all just comes down to, uh, pressure from your tongue. I've found anyway, like the more pressure you put, obviously the higher it's going to go, lower pressure, the lower the pitch can go. Um, so I can get a wide range of calls. I use the triple read a lot for our, our calls here. Um, and I've, I've found, you know, I can whale on it. I can get that high pitch for a cow, and then I can get that low pitch for a cow. And then I can also bugle with it and not have to worry about transferring calls. Um, but Yeah, and it's always nice to have one that you don't have to switch calls out and that you can be versatile with. And most of the really good callers like you guys, um, you know, you can use one call for everything. Um, how does that differ on the stage, you know, because most of the time on the stage they're having you do bull calls and then they're having you do cow calls. In that situation, will, will you actually call, uh, switch calls or will you, if you have one that's running good, you'll just use the same call? Um, in the past, to tell you the truth, I've always just used one call. Um, every once in a while, I'll switch from like a triple to a single read just because they will sound a lot different the single reads kind of a little bit more subtle and the triple read like i said it can get really loud um but generally i honestly just use the one and that way you know it doesn't take any time to switch them because every little minute every little second matters 
So <laughs> yeah, you don't those, get a lot those 30 of time. seconds took off pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And, uh, it, it's one thing I, I always admired about your calling Thomas. It seemed like everybody had their bags of calls and they had all their, you know, they had their whole bag. They come up and you would walk up with your baseball cap, you know, just walk up <laughs> with your, with your bugle tube, one call and just let her rip. And it was pretty cool. You know, everybody's switching calls in and out. And Thomas is always just running one call and, you know, six-time world champion. It's pretty cool. Jay, I don't even know if you remember if you were around when Thomas was doing the voice division, but he used to be able to to lay it down pretty good just with his voice, better than most people could do with a read. It was pretty impressive. He won that division, I think, two or three times. Yeah. But then, then he hit puberty, and it was all over. But <laughs> I think I think that's a uh, leads me into a great question of being a good voice caller, um, even even when you were a kid, even though maybe you can't make some of those sounds because your voice has changed. Um, it 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 brings in your throaty. It brings in a whole you know a whole level of realism. Um, just curious if you guys would speak to that you know being a good voice caller how has it helped you become you know be putting a diaphragm in your mouth and and you know carrying that on and being a great great elk caller yeah i mean honestly i think it helped out a lot i remember the first time i didn't call with my voice it was uh, the isc show in denver oh i was probably i don't know 15 and i, I think i was actually sick and i'd never touched a reed before um and my dad was like, well, here, go ahead and give the contest a try and see if you can make some noises with the reed. And I was able to basically bugle alongside with the reed. Since I was sick, I couldn't get the high-pitched voice or the high-pitched notes. Um, so, But I remember throwing that reed in and going on stage, and I think I actually won the men's division. And it was the first time I ever used a reed. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so then I started you know, playing with the reed more. But, yeah, like you said, being able to – um, because all the noises do not come from the reed. I mean, that just gets you, you know, the, the high pitched noises that you can't make with your own voice. Um, but definitely with the cow calls, you know, I'll work in kind of a, a raspy, like back of the throat noise that you use. And same with the bugles. Um, like when you're ending the bugle, like you get that high pitch from the, the reed. And then when you're ending it, you kind of use your voice, use it deeper, noise that comes from you know your chest and kind of end it with that and um with the grunts too grunting a lot a lot of it honestly comes from your voice everybody's grunts sound a little different just because everybody's voice is a little different when you hear the women callers versus the men callers like the men's division and women's division um even then you can tell a little bit of a difference just because the you know generally a woman's voice isn't as deep as a man's so you can tell we're using a lot of voice in the calls as well. For sure. Um, let's take a quick break here. Then I want to dive in and have you guys demonstrate some calls here. GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes, using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, 
and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT, at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Okay, guys, um, I want to have you both demonstrate some calls and uh, you pick it whether we start out with uh, some bugles and you know go through some chuckles and grunts and what have you or if you want to start with cow calling um but maybe uh you know one of you start and kind of run through a little bit of a series and then maybe the other one kind of do do the same you know type of series and we'll just kind of go through the calls and the listeners will kind of get to hear and if i if i see any places where i've got questions about you know certain sounds you're making or or what have you i'll just uh uh interject there okay sounds good i think maybe we'll just go in order of our calls and we can just start out with our single read, work up to the triple read maybe, and then uh, we can demonstrate each one that way. That sounds great. So I'll go ahead and demonstrate the, the uh, single read, and it's our it's called the contender. Our call is a single read contender. Uh, very easy read to blow, uh, just that one single piece of latex, but you can use it for everything, cow calling, uh, bull sounds. So I'll just do some basic cow calls with it. see you can get you know some different sounds you can do some high high calf sounds and some regular cow sounds a little bit of some estrus uh sounds in your muse there one of the things i saw you mewing the other day jay on on one of your posts on facebook i think it was and you were doing a really cool little uh estrus sound that sounded like it was coming from the back of your throat that was a pretty cool sound you were making you know that little buzz um to me uh, gives it a little bit of realism where, you know, I, I think if, if you can do that, um, you know, not all the time, but if you can throw it in every once in a while, for me, it, it kind of makes a difference, I think, between, uh, you know, being spot on and perfect as far as real and not. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm curious about that call, Tom. That's your single. That's your contender. Right. Um, is the single stretched any different than the double and the triple, or or do you run pretty much the same stretch? It's just a one-piece latex. Um, it's stretched just a little bit different. There's not a huge amount of difference, but there is a difference, um, and the latex is different. The, there's a the my single is going to be a little thicker latex than the rest of my calls. Okay. And. Uh, I do stretch it a little tighter too, but uh, the other calls are just uh, under it by a few, really, I don't know, one hundredths of a of a stretch. But um, but the single by itself is is uh, is 
just a little bit thicker piece of latex and you know and that way i can still have control uh with some light cap calf and cow sounds plus i can still bugle with it without it cutting out you know sure let me go sure. ahead and demonstrate a couple bugles here see that even though it's just a single light you know a single piece of latex stretched real tight you can still even get the deep grunts and the, and the deep chuckles with the call and uh, we didn't talk much about our custom grunt tube but we're real proud of that too and we've designed that and I think that really adds to the realism of the call I have the tube actually here in my hand and I've been messing with it and it's really good I don't know I haven't taken the the uh, cover off this thing to see what you boys have been doing, but there's something, there's definitely something going on in this tube uh, for sure. I really like it. Are you both running this tube? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And that, um, you know what we did? One of the things we did is we dropped a canal in the middle of the tube that kind of creates two chambers inside there. And we dropped a little rubber gasket in to cut the vibration down a little bit to cut some of that plastic sound out that you hear in some on some tubes. Um, but those two like inline acoustic chambers, we were just really happy with them, and we, we've used a really hard hard plastic on it, so it really generates a lot of uh, amplified sounds and stuff. So I, that's how we're really getting that nice uh, and and that that first chamber really builds a lot of back pressure for grunting and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah I, I've, been I've been using this, and I really like this tube for sure. So uh, Thomas is going to talk a little bit. Are you want you want to do the double read? Or? I'll do the double read real quick. Thomas doesn't have his with him, but the <laughs> double read is, was really for years my go-to read. Um, I used this in contest calling. I used it in uh, hunting situations for the most part. Um, but I'll tell you, ever since I tweaked my uh, recipe on my single read contender that's kind of becoming my favorite call just because it's so easy to blow and so easy to use but uh let me demonstrate this double here real quick and, oh yeah and this is called the rival and it's our green read some of the sounds that you know we're getting from the rival read and and some of the cow call stuff and uh, a couple estrus wines there mixed in there and uh, i've had a lot of luck with the estrus wine on bulls that hang up out there about 60 or 70 yards um i'll hit them with that estrus wine a lot of times and, and boy that that makes a huge difference you know you guys hunt primarily uh colorado over-the-counter um uh units uh, you obviously try and put in for the limited entry stuff when you can, um, but talk a little bit about, um, you know, 
the the units that that are over the counter obviously they get quite a bit of pressure do they not yeah they do they they really get a lot of pressure and one of our favorite units that we hunt uh it gets it gets just hammered during rifle season and you know we it, during muzzleloader there's a lot of hunters running around the bow season um we try to get back into these areas farther than a lot of people like to go you know we'll go back in four or five miles and try to get away from people and stuff but you know a lot of these elk have been called to a lot and um our philosophy kind of is is you know the most realistic sound that you can make the better off you are with these elk you want to really um be able to fool them and you know uh, we do do a lot of cow calling and uh but but I do a lot of excited cow calling. I don't just sit in the woods and, and chirp a few times. I mean, we have some routines that we like to do, and and uh, it, it's really produced a, a lot of success for us over the years. When do you find you know the season's going to open here in about two weeks, right at the end of August? Um, when do you find that the bugling and the response to calls? as far as the bulls actually bugling and coming in real hot. If you had to pick a week in Colorado year after year, which week is it? Oh, I'd say probably the third week of archery, which would be around muzzleloader season. Um, so around the 10th? Yeah. 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 First two weeks, I mean, it's been pretty hot the past few years. Um, you don't get a lot of responses, but it doesn't mean that we don't call. Um, you know, that first week we'll still call like we would in the third week. Um, and a lot of times we won't get responses, but we'll call all again just because they're more curious about, you know, what's going on and why they're bugling already or why they're, you know, getting all worked up. Um, and one of the things, you know, that I'll add to that is, you know, a lot of guys that first weekend of archery season, when you're out there, you know, a lot of guys won't bugle a lot because, they know they're not going to get answers from bulls. It's just warm and the bulls aren't really even, uh, rutting yet too much. And, you know, even a lot of the satellites are still in little bachelor groups and stuff, but I'll tell you, Jay, it's been really funny to just, you know, position yourself up on a ridge top and, uh, you know, in, in some true and tried areas that we have and just start wailing on some bugles. And, and, you know, I almost bugle more in the early season, and what happens is, is these bulls, they, they hear all the bugling and the cow calling going on. And I think, I really think they think they're missing something. I've had, yeah. I've had groups of three and four bulls just come running at me up, up a hill and never make a noise, never make a sound. But I think the curiosity factor that they have just brings them in, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that uh, just the fact that they're missing out and that they're like, well, I know it's about time and whatever's going on up there is I want to be a part of right. it. And so with that scenario, kind of walk me through, would you be up on a ridge, um, you know, if elk are down below you and then you'd be bugling and carrying on or, or are you going to try and be below them or typically how do you pl play that out? That's a really good question. You know, when I first started – uh, elk hunting back in the mid eighties, I went to a lot of seminars and I was trying to learn everything I could. And a lot of experts at the time always told me, you know, you always want to call elk downhill. Uh, it's so much easier to call elk downhill, but I have to say in, you know, the last 30 years of elk hunting, I would say 80% of the elk I've killed, I've killed them coming uphill. 
So I'm a real believer in calling down into ravines, you know, getting up on that ridge, maybe sitting at the top of a little meadow, having a couple decoys out behind me, calling down into a funnel and pulling those bulls up. And what I like to do is place a decoy right up about right at right at the uh, ridge line there. So it silhouettes and I'll pop down from the decoy about 40 or 50 yards offline and and just start calling. And a lot of times those elk will come out of, at the bottom of the little meadow that I'm hunting and they'll look straight up and see that decoy. And man, it just makes a huge difference, calms them down. And, uh, you know, they're actually seeing what they're hearing. And I always kind of coined the term, it gives them a calming effect, that decoy. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of the challenges when you're calling a bull in is he's coming in, looking, and once he gets inside, you know, 40 yards, you really only have a couple of minutes to make it happen, you know. But these decoys, they just give you more time because they're actually seeing what they're looking for. And smart bulls, you know, they'll come in and, you know, if they don't see a, an elk in a, in a few minutes of time, they're getting on edge and it just makes it more difficult to get the bow back. And it's, you know, those decoys, I believe, are worth their weight in gold. I know we're kind of jumping around, but. Um, no, I mean, that's great stuff. It's a great tip there. Um, and and where you guys hunt, I mean, are, are, is, are you just focused on every year trying to kill a bull or do you actually pass bulls up to, I mean. Give me the real scenario of Colorado over-the-counter uh, situations. I mean, I, I know you guys want to fill the freezer, but, I mean, do you pass bulls up or do you just shoot a nice bull that comes in and move on to your, your son or your daughter or whoever else has a tag? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> generally in the units that we're hunting, I mean, they're not known for, you know, massive 350-inch bulls or bigger. You know, it's more so just the raghorn satellite bulls and that, that we're getting into um and filling the freezer is generally our biggest priority on an over-the-counter tag so generally we'll you know it's an either sex tag we won't shoot a cow on the you know the first day but if it comes down to it at the end of the the season and a cow gives me the opportunity i will probably take the cow but uh as far as waiting or passing on a bull um, I'm a little bit better than I think my dad. <laughs> the first opportunity he gets, he'll generally take. Um, he's a, he's an equal opportunist, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll usually pass up a cow for a while, but if I get a shot at a legal bull, I usually go ahead and take it. That's awesome. I've, That's awesome. I've been um, to, uh, sit back and wait a little bit and see if I can find something a little bit bigger but when it comes down to it you know i will shoot a legal bull so i'll tell you though jay if i ever was hunting with you i would just <laughs> give you all my arrows and you could just give me the arrow when you when you see the one that i need to shoot after <laughs> seeing a lot of what what the videos that you posted stuff those are some tremendous bulls you guys got yeah i mean it's a it's a you know honestly arizona is just a real special place for sure um, guys, I want to ask you a, a little bit of strategy. You gave me uh, the, a great uh, tip there with the uh, decoy. Um, so for the guys listening, uh, there's a bunch of listeners that you know do over-the-counter Colorado elk every year. Um, give me some ideas of what kind of country you guys look for as far as 
terrain and maybe is there a certain elevation that you find that you know if you can get in that sweet spot or maybe talk a little bit about um you know maybe some tips that you guys have for guys just finding elk you know finding bulls finding cows just being you know being able to get in the mix you know a lot of people come from out of state um what are some tips you could give them yeah you know of course, you know, if, if you're coming from out of state, it's a little tougher because you can't put any time in scouting and, and stuff like that. It's a little harder to scout stuff. But, you know, for the Colorado people that are here, I would just recommend really scouting an area, looking for rubs and, and uh, wallows, sign on the ground, you know, feces, uh, fresh stuff like that, um, smell even, um, hunting funnels and, and corridors where they're going back and forth from their bedding areas and stuff. And, you know, one of the, one of the great things about learning an area really well is, you know, you can, you can find the spots that you want to get into and go into them in the dark and get set up and get ready um, in those spots as it's getting light. And, you know, it used to be that a lot of guys like to go out in the dark and call and stuff, but, you know, to be honest, I don't do a lot of that anymore just because I've been burned so many times calling in the dark and trying to locate elk where, you know, I'll get into an area that I think is pretty good and all of a sudden I'll try a locating bugle and then I got a, you know, a six point bull standing 10 yards from me in the dark and I've ruined the spot kind of. So I like to really get ahead and pre-scout stuff and really know and really have a plan going into an area um, for opening morning and, and, you know, my week hunt or if I'm taking a week, you know, I'll plan those first three or four days. These are the areas that I'm going to start out in, in the morning. And, you know, I try to get into those areas early before it gets light. And then I'll just sit quietly and listen and see if I can hear some stuff going on. And then, uh, usually I've got a partner with me, either Thomas or, you know, another friend of mine that we hunt together a lot. And, um, we usually set up about 40 or 50 yards apart, 60 yards apart, put a couple of decoys out behind us. And then we like to start out with like a little barrage of excited cow calls, just like a, a little small band of cows is, have transitioned from, from one shelf to another. And they're really communicating back and forth, really doing a lot of excited mews. And um, that's kind of what we start out with. And the reason I always tell guys, you know, I don't start out trying to locate and bugle in a spot like that is, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some elk in this area or there's a high probability. And, you know, the the last thing I want to do is open up with a big bugle and have a, a herd bull with, you know, six or seven cows 80 yards from me. And, and he just says, oh, I've got my cows. I'm just going to take these cows and, and move off. And, you know, and sometimes in some of these high pressure units and stuff, that's that's what ends up happening. So I always start off with cow calling and I and I really... Uh, do these barrage of cow calls about every five to seven minutes. And I'll stay in a spot, especially a, a spot that I've really uh, harvested some elk or really seen a lot of sign. I'll stick in a spot about 30 minutes doing these cow calls before I even make a bull sound. So, Tom, in that situation, so you're staying in a spot 30, 40 minutes, you make some cow calls, nothing. You make some cow calls, nothing. And maybe on the third, you know, 15 minutes into it, down off in the canyon, you hear a small, small sounding, just a small little here I am bugle. Yeah. Will you cow call right back or will you go to your small bugle and answer him right back? I'm always curious 
on guys, how they, you know, will you move towards the elk? Will you stay right where you're at? Will you, you know, tell me what you would do and maybe get both what, what you would do, Tom, and what you would do, Thomas. And, and, you know, if you have any differing, uh, you know, strategy, then, you know, if you say, oh, I'd do the same thing, then, then we, we don't have to hit it. But if you have a differing approach, I'd like to hear it. So what's worked for me over the years is normally what I do is I get really excited on the cow calls. So I the barrage kind of goes up a couple levels. I'll really start hammering some cow calls out there. And it'll be right after he finishes bugling because I want him to know that these cows are excited that they just heard that bugle. And I'm going to leave the bull sounds in my, uh, in my arsenal until I need them. So I'm going to really go after this bull with cow calls. And I'm going to hit him, you know, maybe even start mixing in a couple extra sounds here and there. Um, and then just get really excited on the cow calls. And then I'll then I'll be quiet for a minute. And if he answers me with another bugle, I'm going to hit him again just with this barrage of cow calls. And I'm going to get more and more excited with him. And a lot of times that bull will be working his way up. I can hear him coming. He's getting closer with the bugles. And, you know, I'm going to keep ha- answering him with that barrage of cow calls until he gets into about... 60 to 70 yard range and then i'm going to start quieting down on my calling because boy they have an uncanny way of pinpointing where a call's coming from so once they hit that range if i can see the bull at that distance then i'm going to just watch him and i'm going to let him find me i'm going to let him look for me i'm not going to make a lot of cow calls and i and well in fact we'll pretty much shut up on the calls and I'm hoping at this point he's going to spot the decoy and start walking towards the decoy and walk right in front of me. And uh, the only time I'll call after that point is if he starts losing interest and he starts, you know, maybe turning away a little bit. Normally, I have a video that I did uh, a few years back where a bull was coming in like this and he got a little bored. And all I did was hit him with one cow call. And boy, he snapped up. He was only about 60 yards, but he was starting to turn and walk away. And I hit him with that one cow call, and he snapped up, tried to pinpoint the call, but looked right past me, saw the decoy, and then just walked right in front of me, and I killed him. So it's really worked well for me, that strategy. Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I've I've tried both strategies. You know, I've tried – well, we've tried about everything in the book, I guess. <laughs> but uh, being younger, one thing I've learned is, uh, you know, I can – definitely scale the mountains a little bit better than my dad can what's he trying to say i think he's trying to say i'm getting old (laughs) 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 but uh i mean he can vouch for it too when he was younger you know he tried running all over the all over the mountains and he you end up pushing the bulls more and a lot of times that's what people are doing you know they're running and chasing and trying to get close to them instead of using the calls to um bring them to you um so i've tried that on a lot of public land you know i hear the bugle i'm like oh i want to be the first one to get to it but you heard that bugle you might not have been the only one who heard it in that area um so chances are somebody else is trying to make a move on that bull um so what has worked best for me is what he has has been talking about there is you know sitting still waiting for him to come to you um you know probably for at least half hour 45 minutes and if you haven't heard nothing um he's not responding then maybe i'll try to make a move and i'll move you know another 300 yards or so depending on how far he was or how far it sounded 
and then try to move a little bit closer, set up again, maybe to re-interest him. If he lost interest, you know, it'd be like, oh, maybe they're moving a little closer. And then he, I'll sit and wait again and see if he um, perks his interest again and starts coming back in. But uh, as far as going after him, it's always been pretty tough um, just to try to run after him, dealing with the wind for one. And in the mountains in Colorado here, you can't see very far most of the time. Um, where we hunt, we hunt a lot of aspen groves, and it's pretty thick. And, you know, the bull will have to be, or the elk will have to be, if it's at 80 yards, you might not see it. Even if it's at 40 yards, you might not even see it, depending on the year and how tall the grass is. So it's kind of hard to do in spot and stock on Colorado bulls where we're hunting. Um, we're hunting elevation-wise, what is it up there? It's probably, probably like 600, I think. 8,600? So about 8,600 feet. Um, I've, I've hunted at 10, 5, 11,000 feet, and the bulls are up there early season. The, the hotter it is, the higher they're going to be. But once that first snowstorm hits, you know, they're going to start moving down the mountain, and I've been caught up at 11,000 feet and got into the elk first day, and then, a, you know, it'll dump a foot of snow on you, and next thing you know, I can't find them anymore, and they, they booked it down the mountain. So um, yeah. earlier in the season, definitely – a little bit higher it's a little bit cooler um i've been driving around now and you know i'm seeing them above tree line right now so in two weeks they'll definitely be down a little bit lower but um later in the season a little bit lower they get so we're, we usually hunt that third week at about eight thousand six hundred feet so okay good stuff there uh, uh, let's take a let's take a quick break okay, here okay I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. What were you going to add to that, Tom? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, and then part of my other strategy is, because you always get bulls that, you know, they're, they're quick to answer those cows, um, but all of a sudden you get a bull that's not moving, but he's answering you a lot. So then it's time to make a decision at that point. And usually we'll mull it over and, and you know, the, the couple options that we use, um, sometimes I'll stay up high on the ridge and I'll send Thomas down there and I'll keep the bulls, the bull down there bugling. And then Thomas will slip down in there while, while he's still calling and uh, try to get in close. You know, once you get in close, you can do a couple soft cow calls. And uh, sometimes he'll think, he pulled a cow away from that group that's up on the ridge. And uh, um, typically, you know, 
at that point, I've already bugled too. You know, I've I've kind of exhausted the cow calling's not working. So I'm gonna You've thrown the kitchen sink at him kind yeah, of Yeah, you're exactly. I'm gonna start like copying his bugle, trying to make him mad. Sometimes sometimes I'll imitate him as close as I can. You know, if he's grunting twice after his bugle, I'll grunt twice. All he's doing is grunting. I'll I'll copy that for about three or four bugles. And then about the fifth bugle, I'll step on him right on top of his bugle. I'll bugle on top of him and try to irritate him that way. So once I've done exhausted all of that, then I'll send Thomas down there and, and uh, or another hunting partner. I'll keep the bull calling and try to let them slip in. And, you know, when that person gets close to the herd, you've got a couple options. You can do that soft cow call, try to bring that uh, bull around with that. Or if you want to get real exciting, you can you can do a little bugle, you know. But if you do that, you got to be really close to this bull because most likely a bull like this is going to have cows with it. And you know, if he hears another bull inside his circle, he doesn't have time to group those cows up and and run. He's going to have to defend his honor and these ladies' honor, and and he's going to come probably with a fury bugle right in your face and he's going to come looking for a fight or looking to intimidate you. So that gets pretty exciting too. Yeah. I love it when it gets like that. Uh, Thomas, I want to hear you call. I think you're going to blow on the triple. Um, and, and maybe, um, step back a little bit from the microphone and, and, uh, I think we'll get a little bit clearer, uh, sounds if you can. Okay. And maybe run through, you know, cow calling, bugling, whatever you do, uh, and and you know, just tell me what you're doing. Okay, yeah, this is a, a triple reeds called Mile High Warrior. Um, so I'll step back here and I'll do some cow calls, uh, just kind of a situation that we would do hunting in the woods. So I'll go ahead and step back here. And Thomas, is this your call that you kind? Of, this your go-to call that you pretty much use the whole time? Yeah, we we just made this triple read. What about a year ago? Yeah, made it about a year ago, and it's I really kind of abandoned. I shouldn't say abandoned the others, but I've really taken a liking to this triple read here. I can just get a wide range of calls. You know, I can get the cow-calf communications. I can, you know, I can rip on the bugle with it. I can do a spike bugle. I can do the high locator, you know, just about everything I need to, I've been able to do with it. And I mean, heck, I've turkey hunted with it this year too. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> and one question with that triple read, uh, so you've got three pieces of latex. Uh, when the call is sounding its best, are all three pieces of triple latex basically one? Have they, have you had it in your mouth enough or is it like a turkey call? You know how they have reed separators. In my mind, those double and triple, when you can actually get the three reeds to all kind of blend as one, that's for me when they sound the best, when they, when the reeds are separated and not uh, you know, when they're stuck together is when they sound the best, when they get separated for me, they get more cracky. And I'm just curious what both of you think about that. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. When they get separated, it's, you know, they'll get like a bubble in between them or something like that. And it'll definitely kind of give you a crack noise. Um, even a bugle or a cow call. So ours are all together. Um, I'd take a new one out of the package and uh, I'll get it a little wet, try to get some spit or something between the uh, latexes so that way they can form together and basically become one. 
Okay, so in other words, as soon as you pull them out of the package, it takes on on when you have multiple reads for the listeners out there in general, it takes a little while for the for them maybe to call and for it to dry, and then the next day call and dry, maybe three or four days for it to really get sounding really good. Yeah, I mean, it's I think a little for the average caller, I'd say so. Um, I mean, for me, and since they are our calls, I mean, I can take it right out of the package and it'll, you know, sound great and it'll be fine. But um, it, they do take a little bit. The more layers of latex, definitely, if you're not used to it, it does take a little longer to learn how to use it. But I think uh, the benefits are a lot better for it. Sounds good. Well, why don't you run through uh, some calls here? All right. As you can tell, you can get really quiet with it, which is very handy when the bull you're hunting or the elk you're hunting is in close. Um, but you can also get really loud with it if you need to reach out there and, you know, locate them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good stuff. Let's hear some bugling. All right, so we'll do some bugling here. I'll do uh, anything from a little spike call to a big bull. So <laughs> those Arizona Let's hear it. not the not the... <laughs> if you if you blew that they might uh, run to the next county exactly. yeah that's, that's a good point there definitely you don't want to sound like the biggest baddest bull um definitely want to sound like a management bull or a you know satellite bull that has cows because then it'll kind of piss off the big bull that he has his girls so <laughs> if you're in colorado keep the lip balls to a minimum exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't think i've ever done one <laughs> unless you're hunting the national park or up a dinosaur park or something you know real game calls featuring the elk reel real game calls makes innovative realistic and easy to master calls using their proprietary revolutionary design they are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. one is more of the one that we'll do. 
you can see why you're a six-time world champion. Um, I, I noticed that your chuckles, um, how, how would you describe to someone that's listening to get that, <laughs> you know, that, that ape like sound, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, you know, it's, how do you get that bounce back? Um, what, what how would you describe that? Um, well, I was basically going to say just kind of what you did there and kind of a lot of it comes from your voice. Um, kind of making that ape noise. I mean, it sounds pretty ridiculous, but if you know, you weren't to do it, without the reed in your mouth, I mean, right. just be like a, just like that in the tube there. And um, like my dad was talking about earlier too, at the tube, um, having, I think those two chambers in there and that uh, rubber gasket in the middle definitely helps give you the um, back pressure on it, kind of gives you that second echo. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically it comes from your gut. You just got to get down deep and just make you know, a, a monkey noise, basically. <laughs> I tell people sometimes to actually not do it just like you did. Don't do it with the call in your mouth and get that. <gasps> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. until you can get that. And then once you get that, then put the call in and, and mess with it. Exactly. Um, yes. That's the way I teach that too. And, and a lot of it, you know, everything's so important. The breathing, even the breathing inside the tube, when you're taking a breath between each grunt, all of that is is a realistic sound that bulls make. So and the, and you want to end that high pitch coming off of the of the high pitch grunt with a uh, kind of at the coming from your diaphragm, kind of just uh, 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 and in the tube, it just sounds you know incredible. If you can, the the hardest part for guys though is timing the sound that comes from the reed with the sound that comes from your diaphragm. Yeah. And it's all just timing and practice, really. For sure. It's almost with like the, a hiccup, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, would there be any time uh, that you guys would um, – I had Jason Phelps on. I've had some other guys on that are real big buglers. And um, is there ever a time when, you know, timing of the season or a just time of day – that a bull bugles, you're just going to bugle back. He bugles, you bugle back, and just back and forth until he comes in? Or is that typically not your strategy? That's typically not our strategy in the areas we were hunting. But I would probably change my strategy if I was hunting in an area that um, was a little bit more high-quality bulls that weren't going to get intimidated as much a bit more aggressive less pressure yeah um, so if, if if you hiked up into a basin in the say the 23rd or 4th of september uh -huh. and let's say you went up there and there's six or eight bulls and they're bugling and they're getting after it and they're chuckling and they're raking and you hear it you would automatically say okay i that will allow me to step up and be more aggressive or will you still stay with, you know, your cow calling and try and sweet talk them as opposed to getting in their face? Cause I know there's a lot of guys that, and, and everybody's strategy is different and everybody, you know, gets to a certain level and they're successful with what they do. Um, and there's, you know, 10 ways to skin a cat. Um, but for me, you know, sweet talking and, and cow calling has always worked better but there's guys that will argue with me till I'm blue in the face and they'll say, we don't even cow call at all. We bugle and go back and forth and, you know, have great success. Um, you think that's a function of 
older age class bulls and, you know, maybe not as pressured elk or do you just think it's a different part of the country? I think both, honestly. I mean, different part of the country, they act a little bit different. Um, even in Colorado, different parts of Colorado, the elk are a little different. You know, it's the mountains are different. The terrain is different. But um, like you're saying, around like the 24th of September and they're all ripping into it. And um, I might try to i don't know we, we always sweet talk i think it's still i agree with you on that one i mean if you think about a bull who's trying to get as much ladies as he can he's he hears like a raghorn bull that's got a bunch of ladies chances are he's going to want to come kick his butt and take his girls um so i kind of agree with you too jay i you know my philosophy is I'm gonna try everything I can to sweet talk that bull in. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him with some really sexy estrus <laughs> calls and stuff like that. And my theory is I can always try bugling at him later. You know, I have right. hardly ever like pushed a bull off or scared a bull with cow calls. You know, so I always I always try to use those cow calls first and then kind of go to the bugling as a as a well, I won't say last resort, but but I always try to push those cow calls up first and really and really try to get those to work for me. Sure. And I heard you even saying that, you know, you, you start your sequence out with cow calling and try and locate. Uh, Thomas, I've got a, a question for you. Do you have a specific bugle? Let's say you've hiked up a ridge. You're up on a ridge. It's just breaking day. You've, you've tried a few cow calls, nothing answered. Is there one particular bugle that you'll say that I'll go to this or will you kind of bugle a few different times and try and sound like a bull wound up or will you have kind of a high locator? What, what's your thought on that? Yeah, if I'm striking out and, you know, I've been the past few years, I've been trying to explore some new areas around. And, um, so I've been doing a lot of hiking and stuff like that. So I'll, get up on top of a ridge if I if my setups in the morning were unsuccessful and you know by that time it's probably like 9 30 10 o'clock so it's kind of winding down a little bit and I'll get up on a ridge and just kind of generally I'll just do a high locator one it'll be one or two notes just try to carry that one note as long as you can um, let me hear that okay something that can reach out there and go out to the ridge um maybe even a little bit longer than that that was kind of a short one there sorry about that but um just something that's so high. if 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 a bull so you're up on a ridge and you did that and all of a sudden across the drainage a bull bugles about the same response just kind of an answer Will you then at that point, will you kind of try and spot him with your glasses or will you kind of just sit there and see if he fires off again? Or will you say, okay, we've got, he's a, across a drainage. He's going to have to come quite a ways. Um, what, what will you do then? Will you just kind of let him make the next move or will you take, you know, bugle back at him? Uh, well, generally in the areas where I've been hunting and where we hunt, glassing really isn't a huge option. Um, it's pretty thick trees and you can't see much. Um, so depending on how far the bugle was, first thing I would do is check the wind 
um wind is definitely the biggest factor in any hunting i don't care you know how much scent gear or whatever you have on if the wind's wrong the wind's wrong in my opinion um so the first thing i do is kind of assess the wind and decide whether i'm in a good spot or not um if i have time you know if he answered and he was right on top of us like we had last year that happened to us once and we didn't really have any time just to we had to just sit and sit and hope that he came in and he did and we just didn't get an opportunity on him but um, so it all depends on how far he is, what the wind is. If he's a pretty good distance away, I might try to close a, you know, hundred yards or something and then let out a few cow calls. And I'll start with the cow calls again and see if he responds. If he doesn't respond, then maybe, you know, I'll throw out a bugle again just because it worked the last time. So maybe it'll provoke him to talk again and I can see if either he's getting closer or if he's getting further or even if it's a hunter. <laughs> yeah, and I would assume, a fair amount. We call in a lot of hunters, so I would assume that you, you know, if you got a bull bugling, that the last thing you really want to do is make them bugle a whole lot. You want to kind of get them in and get them killed before yeah, you right. have you know, sixteen other guys right on top of you. Exactly. Yeah, we've been working elk, and next thing you know, during muzzleloader season or something, you know, we'll be working a bull, and all of a sudden, just hear a shot like hundred yeah. yards away from me, and you're like, well, here goes that hunt. What would you guys say, um, you know, over the years, what would you say the, di the average distance of your bow shots are in your country that you hunt? I don't think we've shot over 40 yards. No, I've never shot over 40 yards on an elk. Most elk okay. I've killed have been between 20 and 30 yards. Okay. And some advice to the listeners out there when an elk's coming in you know tom you've uh -huh. he's, he's com committed to the decoy you know he's going to walk right past you um you know do you stop them every time do you let them walk what you know do you shoot if they're close enough do you shoot them walking give me some advice there yeah so you know the beauty the, the beautiful thing about mastering the diaphragm read is it's hands free and which is just incredible for a cr incredible tool for the bow hunter. Um, you know, so I always had that read in my mouth, you know, eight hours a day when I'm trumping through the woods. And, um, but as that bull's coming in, the first thing I try to do, um, you know, normally if I have time, I'll get my range finder out and I'll hit a couple uh, specific trees that are out there in front of me, ones that really stick out, try to figure out what's 20, what's 30, what's 40. And then I can put the range finder away. I don't have to touch that again. So I got a bull coming in when he hits about, if he's coming at a pretty good pace, when he hits about 50 yards, I'm going to draw my bow back. And, um, that way there's not a lot of movement when he's in close and then I'm just going to hold. And then typically I'm going to wait for him to get within that, 30 yard range. If I feel like he's going to come in, continue to come in at 30 yards, I'll continue to let him walk. But as soon as he hits that 20 yard range, I'll usually just let out a little, uh, cow mew and it'll stop him. And then I'll just center the pin on him and, and hit him. To hard. add to that, one thing we've done in the past that kind of almost blew a shot time or two is we kind of try to decide who the shooter is when you're hunting with somebody like this setup, all right, dad, this is yours. The next setup is mine. And so I'll sit a little bit further back than my dad, even even kind of near the decoy. Um, and let's say he's hunting, he's the one with the shot. So he'll shut up on the calls. 
and then I'll let out a few here and there just to give the bull reinsurance that, you know, there is a cow there. Hey, look at the decoy. Um, but once you feel as the caller that the bull is close enough for a shot, that's when you as the caller kind of let the hunter take over because we've in the past, you know, I've had a, a bull, it was at like 55 yards and my dad thought it was at like 30. And so he tried to stop the bull and the bull stopped and I was, I didn't even have my bull pulled, my bow pulled, pulled back and, you know, I wasn't ready for the shot at all. So that's one key thing to keep in mind when you're hunting with other people is the shooter is the one who stops the animal in our case. Um, just because you don't know if they have a clear shot, you don't know what their lanes look like. Um, so that's definitely one thing we've done in the past where the caller ended up stopping the bull and it was behind a tree or it wasn't you know, close enough or something like that. You know, Jay, he always tells this story and I'm always <laughs> the bad guy in it, but he still killed the bull. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's actually a great tip. And it's, it's, you know, something to mention to always have good communication with whoever you're hunting with so that you don't run into those situations. Cause you know, it could mean, having meat in the freezer or not. And, um, so that, that's a, that's a great tip. Um, guys, when you're drawing down and, and drawing on a bull and looking through your peep, um, I, I know we've all been there before. I mean, I shot at a bull one time and I don't even know that I looked through my, I don't even know that I looked through my peep and centered <laughs> it, you know, centered my pin and then I shot and I don't even know where my arrow went. You know, so th those things happen, I think, with more experience. What would you guys say, uh, speaking from experience, how do you get yourself settled down and what kind of checklist uh, do you go through to make sure to, to, to dial in and make the shot? That's a good question because <laughs> I've been there too. It's so exciting. You don't even know. You know, your adrenaline is going so so much. It's tough to tough to keep it settled down but the biggest thing for me just remembering to breathe <laughs> yeah. and keeping trying to keep your shakes down to a minimum because i mean bow hunting you you know you got to stand steady and with that bull within 20 yards man sometimes it can get pretty intense and um just keeping your eye on the kill kill spot you know once you know it's a legal bull don't worry about the antlers how big it is, whatever, just keep your eye on the prize and um, stay focused on where you want to hit. And that definitely helps me. Um, and then, you know, after you release the arrow, make sure you, you know, you got a good follow through and you try your hardest to watch that arrow. Um, and Luminox kind of help with that now in Colorado, they finally legalized it. So you can use Luminox now. Um, so that'll definitely help you. And, one thing we do after the shot is make noise, like not don't jump up and start yelling and screaming, you know, I shot it, I shot it. But make noise, what I mean by that is, you know, your your caller or you let out some cow calls and let out a bugle right after the shot because chances are, I mean, they don't know what just happened. And if you made a good shot, you don't want them to run far, like the closer the better, obviously. So you let out that bugle and, I mean – I'd say seven out of ten times we have them stop and we watch them die right in front of us. Yeah, so. it works. For sure. Um, one of the, sure. Just to add a little bit to that, Jay, I think a big part of this is just practice outside of that situation. You know, shoot arrows all summer long through your bow. Get to know your weapon. Get get Just 
so that it is second nature. Cause sometimes you're right. I mean, you'll, you'll, you try to relive the moment and you're like, did I even look through my peep? But if you've practiced enough and you've done everything right, it just helps you so much more. You know, a lot of times it's second nature. It all happened so fast, but you did everything right because you've been shooting hundreds and hundreds of arrows all summer. And, you know, I think that's a huge part of it. And, you know, when you're out there on the ranges and stuff, don't just stop in front of the target and stand there and shoot, you know, like leisurely and stuff. Do things that are going to are going to help you in the field. Shoot sitting down, pull your bow back behind a bush and hold it for 20 or 30 seconds and then ease out from behind the bush and let an arrow fly at your target. You know, practice like real live situations so it helps you when you're in the woods. Very rarely do you get to just stand up and pull an arrow back, you know, Perfect form. point at the moon and pull an arrow back, pull your bow down and, you know, practice drawing straight back and as little movement as possible and just and just really put the practice in on the range. And I think it, it, it'll really help you in those high intense situations. Yeah. And for me, it seems like the, the more that I focus on my, uh, you know, my routine on the range and that's, you know, drawing back, putting my nose, the tip of my nose right on the string, then, then going to my, uh, peep and centering my pins and, and, and my sight housing, having that all one and then pick going for my target. Um, and I think Thomas, you said something there that's pretty cool that has helped me too. And that's focus on your spot. Even when you're drawing, you're looking at where you're trying to hit that bull. Then you go through your routine and as you start, you know, centering your pin and looking, then you're just looking for that spot. Um, But if you can kind of stay on that spot when all of that's going on, that's what helps me. And, you know, just kind of focus, try and tune everything else out and, and, um, you know, really go through your routine and, and, you know, systematically, uh, you know, if, if, if you just draw back and, and you're, you know, the first thing I do is draw back, put the string on my nose, then I'm looking through my peep, then I'm centering my pins. At least I'm, I'm that much closer to yeah. probably making a better shot than, you know, that I had those three bulls came in one of the first elk hunts I ever went on and they came in, it was our first afternoon out. It was in Colorado and some other guys that that i went with they went one way i'm by myself i mean it's one of those perfect situations look there's three bulls they're walking down a trail they come up to 20 yards i don't even know where the arrow went that's i mean i don't even know that i looked through the peep so it's you know until you make yourself go to your routine i think i think you know it, it can happen i've had clients that you know i how you know what happened <laughs> i don't know i i don't know i shot but i don't know you know so it, it you know it happens to everybody sure. um guys it's been awesome having you on um i want to give you guys a chance to let the listeners know how they can find you your website uh, social media and what have you if you would Sure. Uh, our website is uh, www.milehighnotegamecalls.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Mile High Note Game Calls. Awesome. Uh, 
I noticed you've been doing some fishing, uh, Thomas, this summer. Yeah, I've been uh, traveling quite a bit for work, actually, up by steamboat, and so I've been fishing up there, and I've been doing pretty good. I I did some fishing. I actually went to New Zealand too, and I did some fishing there, and it's been a been a pretty great year. I went and stag hunting there and got a nice stag, and it was uh, pretty phenomenal. <laughs> Were, was it during the roar? It was, but we were caught right at the end of it, and uh, the roar was pretty much over. So unfortunately, we didn't get to hear the roar, um, and we just saw one brief fight between two big bulls. But um, they're pretty aggressive animals, that's for sure. He was one bull got his butt kicked, and he was bleeding all over. So it was <laughs> it was pretty cool to watch. But unfortunately, we didn't get to catch the roar. So that was the yeah. bad part. But New Zealand's an amazing country. Um, gorgeous. Yeah, the the fishing and hunting opportunities there are awesome, and it's it's a great country. If the listeners ever get a chance to to get to New Zealand, it's uh, one of my favorite places. Uh, my wife and I spent two weeks there on our honeymoon and yeah. fished. I think nine days, and you know, it just uh, the country's so clean. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not a lot of junk around. It's just a really neat spot. So that's cool that you got to enjoy that. Well. Guys, I uh, want to wish you the best. Uh, hunting season's around the corner. I'll be watching on your social media to see how you guys did. And um, saw you had a great turkey season, and uh, it's always fun yeah. uh, catching up with you guys. And uh, I guess until I uh, talk to you, God bless and and knock down knock down a couple bulls this year. All right, Jay. Thank Definitely. you very much, and you too. Uh, good luck with your hunts, and it, it was a pleasure being on your show today. Sounds good, guys. Uh, Have a great day. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye.